Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. This week, we are doubling down on our podcast publishing. Every Wednesday, we will be publishing an in-depth interview with an innovator working in the intersection of lifestyle and technology. And every Friday, we will be publishing a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. This season, we are partnering with the US trade show Project in a series of conversations on how the world of fashion is transforming. Today's topic is important and exciting. It's called Start With Purpose, a more mindful consumer in 2021. This conversation features some of the industry's most thoughtful personalities. We have Samuel Hine, Senior Associate Editor of GQ and GQ Style, Jordana Guimarães, author and co-founder of the platform Fashionovation, and our own Fredrik Ekström, editor-at-large for Scandinavian Mind and founder of the brand consultancy Above the Clouds. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming live panels and other events. Visit ScandinavianMind.com slash newsletter. Here now, the panel Start With Purpose in collaboration with Project Digital. Enjoy. for joining us today. My name is Don Petransic. I'm the Vice President of Experience and Education within Forma Markets Fashion. First, we start off by wanting to make sure that everyone is doing well and safe and is healthy during this time. It's, it's so important. Uh, today's webinar is the third in this season's Project Now Forum Education Series, and it's titled, Start with Purpose, a More Mindful Consumer in 2021. So let's introduce the panelists. First, we have Conrad Olson, Editor-in-Chief of Scandinavian Mind. Next, Frederick Ekstrom, Brand Consultant and Editor-at-Large for Scandinavian Mind. We're happy to welcome Samuel Hine, Senior Associate Editor, GQ and GQ Style. And then rounding off the panel is Jordana Guimarães, co-founder of Fashion Innovation. Take it away, guys. Thank you, Don. Uh, it's uh, a true honor and a pleasure to be here uh, collaborating with Project again. Uh, I'm Conrad Olson, founder and, and uh, editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind, uh, calling in from, from a snowy, uh, cold Stockholm, Sweden. So it's a bit of a cross-Atlantic collaboration, this, this talk here. Um, super excited about about this uh, today's topic. So if, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that consumers more than ever are voting with their wallets. They are demanding authenticity and aligning themselves with those who share their values. They expect brands to take a stand on important cultural and in political issues. And today we're gonna to talk about this. We're gonna talk about how consumers are looking for value beyond the literal cost of goods but does their behavior actually match their sentiment? 
and are brands looking to go the extra mile, potentially exposing themselves as inauthentic or losing market share as a result? So I'm happy to have this uh, distinguished group of uh, uh, brilliant minds. Uh, and I'm gonna start off with you, Samuel, in, in New York City. You are the senior associate senior associate editor of GQ, arguably uh, the most important editorial uh, organization for, for the people listening. And perhaps, uh, could you just give us a little behind the scenes look of your editorial process? When, when you go searching for new brands to recommend to your audience, what does that process look like? And, and has it changed during the past few years? Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, if, sorry if there's a snowplow noise in the background. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, that's kind of the million dollar question. Um, we, and it's something that we've, you know, thought about so much, um, especially in the past year. Um, starting in 2020, uh, you know, we had just been having all these conversations, um, you know, among the editorial staff at GQ about like, you know, which brands um, uh, and what, what sorts of brands and like, and, and sort of what, um, what like is the essence of brands that we really want to be able to recommend, um, you know, not just to our audience, but to, you know, our friends, our, uh, our colleagues, um, you know, our family. One, um, one funny sort of thing that happens when you work at GQ is people um, ask you pretty much constantly for brand recommendations. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we actually set out to do a project that took the greater part of 2020 um, called the basically distilling, um, you know, these, these things that, that we sort of were looking for in, in brands, um, that we want to make a part of, you know, part of the GQ family, part of our editorial strategy. Um, and we called it the quality list. Um, and that, that took form in, in a big, um, I think like 30 page package in the October issue of GQ. Um, and we really, um, we, we, we basically looked at, you know, every, I mean, every brand from small artisanal brands to, um, to big, uh, you know, luxury fashion brands, our scope was, was across the whole industry. And we, uh, and we narrowed it down to 50 that we thought embodied this, uh, you know, a particularly modern idea of quality. Um, and uh, it was, it was no easy task for sure. Um, and obviously, um, you know, what, what, someone considers to be a quality brand versus what someone else does is, is probably a bit subjective, but um, we, tried to, we tried to sort of establish a criteria that we thought was, was, was fair and, and, and really meant something and said something about um, what makes you know, a brand embody this idea of modern quality. So for us, that meant, um, for one, originality. Uh, you know, we, we, we really respect um, you know, brands that are, are, are true originals that, um, that are not derivative, that are not making things that um, don't deserve to exist because they already do. So brands, so, so it's really about brands that are making things that um, are singular and that you can't get anywhere else. You know, that really speaks to this idea of quality. Um, craftsmanship obviously is a huge one who's making things that, um, that are gonna last um, and that, that you know, are, are not disposable, that you can really invest in. Um, you know, it's all about this idea of buying less and buying better. Um, sustainability obviously is huge. Um, you know, there are brands like, and that's, I think that's such an interesting thing that we should talk about um, because there are some, there's certain brands that sort of define themselves around this idea of sustainability, um, you know, a Patagonia or, um, 
and Arcturix, you know, a lot of the outdoor brands, especially um, a lot of young designers too, sort of, sort of when they, when they're starting their brand, they're, they're actually starting from a place of sustainability, um, almost, almost innately, you know, their, their brand identity might not be, you know, green or, or sustainable per se, but um, they're very, um, you know, they, they, they sort of intuit almost this, this notion of, um, you know, sustainable design, sustainable production. They don't want to create too much waste. They don't want to do anything. Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, if you're a young designer and you're growing up um, under the specter of climate catastrophe, I think that's a pretty natural way of thinking. Um, and then, and then obviously value, you know, is another, is another big thing we're looking for in, in, in brands that we're going to make it on the quality list. Um, you know, who's really delivered, you know, who's delivering like, you know, just great, great value for your money, big bang for your buck. Um, you know, who, which brands can we really, really recommend, um, you know, our readers spend their hard earned money on. Um, and then one, one, one sort of final category that um, became more and more important, I think this summer, as we were um, really hard at work on the, on the quality list um, amidst the, the, the BLM protests um, all across America was, was, was really purpose. Um, you know, which brands are, 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 are working with a purpose and trying to, and trying to um, you know, propose a message, um, send a message, speak to a community, you know, speak to communities um, that might not be particularly represented in, in, in the fashion industry. Um, so a, a brand like Telfar or Pierre Moss, um, you know, really embodies those, you know, uh, this idea of, of, of which brands are, are trying to do, say something more than, um, you know, here's a cool uh, shirt or whatever, um, you know, who's trying to really like educate and teach and, and, um, and do something, do something a little bit more interesting. Um, so, so that's sort of, so, so, you know, that was just one, um, that, that initial project, the quality list um, was not really the, that was not the end of this. Uh, that was basically just the, the opening salvo of, um, you know, how we're thinking about um, brands that we cover going forward. Um, you know, we, we talk on, on my podcast, Corporate Lunch, that I do for GQ, we talk about um, how everyone should have their own personal quality list, um, mm. you know, their own list of brands that, that, that they think, uh, you, know, you know, reflect um, their values and, um, and embrace their idea of quality. Um, so, so we sort of, so, so now, so now when, we're, when we're going out into the market or, um, you know, looking at, looking at product at a trade show or, or, or what have you, um, you know, new brands that we, that we want to write about, they really do have to um, pass the quality test. Um, you know, and, and, and obviously there, are, as, as I said, there are a lot of different ways in there, but um, I mean, that's just super important, um, especially, you know, now more than ever, as you said, Conrad, um, that, that this, this, this idea of quality is, is, is basically like fundamental, I think, um, to how we do things now. Thank you, thank you for sharing that, that process and it's super interesting. I, I, I wanna get back to you later. I wanna talk more about your, your readers and, and what you know about them. Uh, and so what informed that process, but I wanna move over to, to Jordana. Uh, and so uh, you, you run a platform called Fashionovation that sort of seeks to bring about change in, in the uh, fashion industry. And I know from, from our early talks uh, some of the, the sort of values that Sam brings up are really kind of the stuff that you talk about as well. So, but for, for those of you, for those uh, of the readers that, or, or listeners that don't know about fashion innovation, perhaps you just introduce that and uh, give us a hint about the types of, of subjects that you cover in your platform. Definitely. So first, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me to be here. And Samuel, I loved a lot of the points that you made between artisanal and purpose and sustainability. So 
very cool. Um, so yeah, so Fashion Innovation, we're actually a platform. We started about two and a half years ago and it's grown very global because we really uh, focus on three key pillars in fashion, which is sustainability, technology, and entrepreneurship. And so we bring speakers from all over the world. We've even had an artisan in a village in India, two designers in Nigeria, Colombia, Brazil, US. And we have them speak about a lot of different thematics, which include mainly how is technology uh, allowing innovations within the fashion brands to develop new ways of manufacturing processes, new textiles, sustainability, inclusivity, uh, women empowerment, entrepreneurship. So we talk about a lot of different topics. Um, and our main purpose and mission with Fashion Innovation is to allow real and true inclusivity to come into fashion. When I say that, we really feel it's important to no longer have just industry speaking to industry, but really allow an open platform so that the end consumer can also be a part of the conversation, just as much as the CEO of the large brand, and also allow people in tech that are not necessarily tech that was born in fashion to come into the conversation so that we have real systemic change moving forward with the industry. And so for us, it's all about how do we improve the fashion industry while making the world a better place, but yet allow these CEOs and founders to continue to profit so that they can give back more and do more things within the industry and the world at large. Um, so really that's what fashion innovation has been for the last two and a half years. Um, so yeah, and then I think the second question you asked, I think that-, that was I, I, think you, I think you covered it, but, but I'm curious, uh, do you even agree to the premise of this talk? And, and when you, in, in your discussions with people from, from the fashion industry, uh, is this sort of top of mind for, for people to, to bring about this, this sort of purpose-driven uh, approach to, to their brands? 100%. You know, I've done a lot. So during COVID, we have the Diane von Verstenberg, Kenneth Coles, et cetera, on our stage, but we always bring alongside the big names of startups and the scale-ups. And what I've seen during COVID is a lot of people starting a new brand in the middle of COVID and actually being successful because they came in purely with the authenticity and the purpose of their brand before they came in with the aesthetics of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been really exciting to see. So I've even seen like startup uh, footwear brands that were coming in just speaking on the scientific aspects of sustainability within like the materials used, et cetera, and being able to actually raise a Kickstarter during COVID just using the facts and sustainability and then going on to what the shoe looked like. Um, so seeing those types of things, I think that people in general, I would say the one big thing that people want nowadays in fashion is to feel connected to something. No one, anybody, I mean, I feel like people no longer are really interested in just buying something for rack if they don't know the story who's behind a brand why the why behind a brand so people want to feel connected um, to anything nowadays and so if they can buy something and have a connection to that purchase and to that brand i feel like it goes a much longer way nowadays a much yeah than just purchasing something because it looks good um, so i've seen a lot of that and i've seen a lot of success stories with that in 2020 leading up to today Let's, let's uh, shift focus from, from the brands in a bit and talk about the consumer. And, and, and Fredrik, uh, uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on, uh, other than it's nice to have a fellow, another fellow Swede and a person I enjoy uh, working with, 
is that you are an advisor to brands. Sorry, I'm in a room that, that keeps shutting out the, <laughs> the lights. Um, you are an advisor to brands and you were also the author of a uh, report that we published uh, last year called The New Sustainable Consumer. Uh, and I, was, I, was, I thought it was interesting to bring in sort of the key findings uh, when you did this research about how the consumer had changed, uh, I guess, the past year, but also before that. Just share some, some of your key findings. Yeah, and first also, thank you for having me. It's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, um, of course, it's been growing with sustainability and, and purposeful brands the last year, but this is something that's been going on for a couple of years and then been just accelerating uh, the last year. And we see that, I mean, it's, it's three topics we would say it's sustainability, purpose and trust. That is like uh, something that is really driving the consumer uh, demands uh, right now. And I mean, it's been um, driven, of course, by, by the pandemic. It's been accelerated by the pandemic. And even though the virus is not related to sustainability, uh, the consumers get a feeling and understanding that their own actions is some kind somehow implementing uh, or uh, affecting uh, the society. So it's, it's a big driver that goes on. We see the, the change moving really fast. And when we look at these different kind of consumer types, we have them from dedicated pioneers. There's like driving uh, um, uh, this transformation all the way back to, um, uh, yeah, the, the sleepers, uh, the, the non-motivated or the spectators. And what we see now is a big green leap that goes, that is shifting from uh, the spectator and the sleeper and going into be what we call eco-swingers, doers and the pioneers. And, and we can see this in, in all ages, but uh, extra strong in, in the younger generation, the Gen Z. So let's talk about the, the generations and, and how, is there a difference between the generations? Is this uh, sort of uh, uh, need for, for purpose accelerating? Is it growing or is it sort of, is it more, you, sometimes you can talk about sort of a pendulum in generations. It goes back and a little bit with, with the generations. How do you see that? I mean, <clears throat> true as you say, so, sometimes it is that something starts with one generation and then the next one says we're not touching that we're going this the, uh, the other way instead but what's happening now is that uh, when gen c is coming up um, we see that what started with the millennials about being this kind of like conscious consumer and getting more into sustainability and and having that as something of a, a driving force for them is that the Gen Z is actually accelerating that even more. It's one of those uh, classic trends, uh, uh, long tail trends that we, uh, that's moving on, that they are bringing up to the next level and they are demanding it and they are looking into brands to see what makes the company tick. What is it actually, what's the actual purpose of the brand and what kind of value is this brand bringing into the society? rather than um, are they making jeans, sneakers or a bag? 
So they're moving away, away from the product focus and going into the purpose focus and, and value contributing focus. And this is also something that we could see, I mean, you in, in, in US, you, you just had a, a very uh, tough uh, uh, election uh, time <laughs> that of course uh, um, uh, put his mark on, on, on the generation. It's a troubled world. Uh, the, the generations are just uh, um, losing faith in institutions. They are, they are moving away from institutions and looking at them and saying that, they are not the, one that is, the ones that are going to fix this for us. And if the institutions are not doing that and the politicians are not doing that, then who is? Um, and they're turning to um, some kind of um, organization that is closer to them, that they have some kind of deeper loyalty and engagement to, and that's where the brands come in. So brands actually have a bigger responsibility and opportunity right now to um, address these kind of issues and the younger um, generations are demanding it they want the brands to take actions to be um, a conscious activist so to speak they, they don't want them to stand there throwing rocks but they want them to be active and, and make a stand uh, and and um, show what kind of value they are bringing to society rather than uh, how greedy they are and how much growth they are talking about. Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to overstate, just jumping off of that, how, um, how important it is that um, this younger generation has so much information at their fingertips and so much access, so much ability to, to do their own research. I mean, when, you know, I'm, I'm a late millennial, almost Gen Z, and um, when I was getting interested in style and fashion, Instagram didn't even exist. You know, this has all happened so, so quickly. Um, but it's really remarkable just how, how, uh, how fast the barriers have fallen um, to entry. And, and you can be, um, you know, I, a lot of um, the people that, uh, you know, the GQ readers who, you know, I interact with who DM me on Instagram or whatever, um, you know, don't necessarily live in New York or Chicago or LA um, or London or Paris. You know, they live in, they live in suburbs maybe um, or, or maybe even in, in, in rural areas. Um, and yet they know almost everything about, um, you know, the, the spring, summer 21 collections in Paris, right? Uh, because it's so easy for anyone with a Wi-Fi connection um, to, 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 to just to, to access all of this information. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I think, um, Frederick, to your point, like the, the brands are, are absolutely responding um, because they sort of have to, um, because this, this cohort of, you know, this new generation is, um, is really sort of making their demands clear, I think. And, and, and when brands, you know, take a false step um, or make a wrong move, I mean, the, the, the swiftness and like the viciousness by which they're called out is, is, really, um, is, is really astounding. Um, you know, mm. not, we don't have to discuss that so much, but, um, but I mean, it's, it's a really powerful tool, I think, to, to hold brands to account and make sure that they're actually, um, you know, putting their money where their mouth is. It's easy to do a, an ad campaign that, that sort of, um, you know, greenwashes or virtue signals or, you know, proposes some grand idea about diversity or whatever. Um, but if the brands aren't actually backing that up with real action, um, you know, this, this extremely online um, fashion consumer who's so enthusiastic um, is going to be able to sniff that out immediately and figure out that it's, that it's all sort of a facade, right? So um, I think, I mean, I think that's a, just a hugely important force that's, 
going to be defining, um, you know, the, the, the direction of, of fashion and um, where these what these brands are doing for for years to come. And I just wanted to quickly say also, I, I, I'm so glad you brought all of those points up and Samuel, you as well, complimenting to what he said. Um, I also think this is what is exciting about giving these startup brands that are coming into the market an opportunity because if they come in using their voices and they have an opinion and they have a way that they can actually inspire their community, even if small, and that community is liking what they're hearing to then get the word out to others. And then the big brands, you know, a lot of them that have stayed quiet throughout 2020, which there are a few, they actually now are giving the space for these startup brands to be able to come in and have an opportunity just through using their voices and being that that source of inspiration that we all need, because like you said, Frederick, there, the trust, you know, level when it comes to these political and all of these big parties that people are kind of like, okay, I don't want to listen to them. Who can I listen to? It's really giving that, that space as well. So it's really important, that fact. Jordana, can I just ask, uh, you mentioned sort of the difference between big brands and small brands. And, and I would imagine, I mean, Samuel, you, you're also covering this as a new brand, I would imagine it's, it's somehow easier to sort of, quote unquote, be right with this. You can sort of build the DNA of your brand in, in a more in a way that sort of adheres to the to the current values of, of 2021. But, you know, as a legacy brand, as a brand that's been around for a few decades that have their sort of they have the consumer, they have the perhaps a core product uh, uh, that that it's really reliant on their business. Jordana, what do you see? Is there a good example of a heritage brand or legacy brand that's doing good? Or, or, or what do you recommend for, for these sort of bigger players with, with this, with regards to what we're talking about right now? Well, one person that I think of, a big brand um, that has done incredible things with innovating, with coming up with new organizations within Kenneth Cole. Um, so he created the Mental Health Coalition during 2020 to specifically help with mental illness during everything that we were going through. And I thought that that was amazing. He's always been giving back in so many different ways. He's always been super philanthropic. But, you know, he was able to really, I mean, do something completely different from within what he was doing. And even throughout his social media campaigns, even with Kenneth Cole as the brand, really empathize, um, put an emphasis on mental health illness and how that is important and really did, he's still doing a lot with that space. So I thought that that was brilliant. And then you have people like Rebecca Minkoff, who didn't necessarily use things when it came to her brand aesthetics, but used her voice throughout all of 2020 to bring in extremely diverse individuals to her Instagram live to shine a light on what they were doing to really include inclusivity in that way in conversations that she was having and playing a huge role with women empowerment, et cetera. So I think there are some bigger brands that were able to really say, okay, maybe I can't you know, change my brand aesthetics because it is such a big company, but maybe I can use my voice in different ways. So I've seen that be done a lot. And I think there's a lot of space just with using your voice in the right way. Sam, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on this in, in terms of sort of new brands coming up, doing it right versus uh, uh, brands that have been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely harder to, um, you know, turn a, a super tanker around uh, versus a versus a speedboat or something. But um, you know, I think I think I think the the advantage that big brands have is is, is they have you know much more money and uh, you know and, and much greater resources to put behind um, you know new initiatives um, you know that can that can sort of reflect uh, 
you know, changing values. I think there's a lot of hesitancy at, um, you know, at, at established brands to, to shake things up too much, right? You don't want to lose that legacy customer, um, but you want to, you, know, you, you, but you need to capture this sort of like late millennial Gen Z um, customer, right? Um, I, I mean, one, you know, one example that comes to mind is, um, is, is Gucci, which, you know, was, I think, I think, I don't know, six or seven years ago, we might've all sort of wondered, okay, what, what exactly does this brand stand for? And, and now I think it's, you know, it's quite obvious, um, you know, the, the reinvention of the brand is, has been so profound and, um, you know, obviously it's, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a complicated, a more complicated story than this, but, um, you know, I think, I think Gucci has sort of embodied a really, um, progressive, um, you know, a super progressive aesthetics and, um, and, and really speaks to, um, a super modern, um, you know, more gender fluid, um, you know, fashion identity, uh, that I think is really interesting. And, and, it, and, and I think, um, I'm sure that there were some people who, who, you know, if they had looked at that, um, you know, would be like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Uh, you know, what's going to happen to, you know, all the grandmothers who, who love their Gucci bags, you know, what's going to, what's, you know, what are we going to do? It's, and, um, and, and obviously it's, you know, I mean, it's totally worked. And, and as far as I know, the brand is, um, you know, making money hand over fist. And, and, and so I think that there's, you know, taking a bold sort of change, um, whether that's, you know, I guess one other, one other example that um, is maybe more concrete is, is Balenciaga has, um, is, is I think endeavoring to use only sustainable materials, um, recycled, upcycled. Um, and uh, that's because they're, they're, you know, a multi-billion dollar brand and they can do that. And, and, and they've been able to do that without actually making an enormous deal out of it. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be some, you know, there'll be some big marketing push, um, you know, this year, but, but I think, I think their spring 21 collection is something like 96.5% um, of the materials are, are upcycled um, or, or recycled or, or renewable or something like that. Um, and it, and it looks like what a Balenciaga fan would want it to look like, you know, it's, it's the, the, the te I think technology has advanced to, um, you know, such a place, uh, luckily that, you, you know, these, these, you don't really, you don't actually have to compromise so much if you're a big brand and trying to become more sustainable. Um, uh, you know, whether, whether these companies are actually sustainable is obviously a totally separate conversation, um, because arguably they're not, but, um, no fashion is, can, can, fashion can't truly be sustainable. So, um, it's, it's all about sort of taking, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely good to see these, these steps being taken, I suppose. Well, one could definitely argue that it is the bigger players, the bigger brands that can actually bring about, a, a, you know, with, with, with bigger uh, brands can make more change or bring about bigger change. So, Frederick, you, you advise brands in your work and you've also worked from with inside uh, brands, actually one of the like a real legacy brand here in Scandinavia. Do you have any any sort of recommendation? What's, what's your advice to brands? Uh, uh, today, give, given this issue of sort of taking a stand, making bold moves, moving towards sustainability, that's something that perhaps feels daunting to, to many. Yeah, uh, first I want to reflect on what you also said is that um, to make change, you have to drive it up to scale. So it is, it's a uh, super nice to see all these uh, startups coming and they they making the noise they're cutting through the noise and bringing the message out but the real change is uh, when the big players actually transform into a more responsible manufacturing or circular process that's when the real change is coming i mean in, 
in Sweden, we can tie down 50% of all carbon dioxide to three companies. So uh, it's, uh, it's been one of those change, where, where the big change come. But uh, I would say when I advise brands, yes, I worked uh, six years with uh, Treetorn, which is a uh, 130 years old heritage brand in, in Sweden. And um, usually my, my first, my first <laughs> saying is that you have to think as a friend I mean, the, the brand is, is one of those high school friends to the consumer. I mean, no consumer want to hang out with uh, a lying, thieving, uh, greedy friend. <laughs> uh, they, they could do uh, for a while if, if the friend looks really good, has a really good <laughs> outer look, but, but it's, gonna, uh, it, it's not gonna be loyal. It's not gonna be a friendship for life. So. Uh, that, that's my first, like act, act as a proper friend uh, and, and what all this is to be an individual. But then right now, um, what I tell to brands is to mean, you can't rely on your old loyalty base. Uh, some brands think that, yeah, we were gonna go back to normal. This is gonna be like, we always done this, we sold to them, we can tweak it a little bit. We have the loyalty base with the brand. You don't. You don't have them anymore. They, they, they changed the places they shopped during the, the pandemic and, and they changed the preferences in, in how they consume and buy during this time. Um, but when I was working with, um, with Triton, we were, I mean, it's a brand that um, produce everything from tennis balls to sneakers, to rain jackets, to kids rubber boots. and. It was sold from outlets to high-end uh, uh, retailers and sports shops. It's, it was all over the place, but um, most of the um, manufacturing, of course, was made from, from rubber and from virgin polyester. So it, it was um, a pretty, uh, not an easy sell to, to start saying that, okay, now we're gonna transform this into, uh, um, uh, to what we then called sustainability. We started in 2016 with this. And what we needed to do was to have a quick win. I mean, the organizations need to see a, a, a winning strike in like, okay, so this, it could be a success. It could be something that is actually um, um, growing the company or driving it up for the company. So I think it's important when you're doing this kind of transformations to have one part which is like the heart and soul and the purpose uh, and you can't fake that uh, it has to be true authentic uh, honest purpose otherwise you're purpose washing the brand so i mean that that's the first you have to stand for something that is genuinely true uh, from you then you have to make everyone understand that <laughs> and, and live and breathe it and then start doing um winning projects with it and, and a lot of brands are struggling with, they have their uh, 18 month product sales cycles and it takes a long time. So you need to have the faster cycles, uh, a, second, a pre second product cycle uh, with, with this kind. So you have a, a faster cycle with more responsible manufacturing to show the organization what, what is gonna be, um, uh, where it's going to end up. And our, our idea was to have 
collaborations to do uh, quick collaborations with uh, uh, with a strong sustainability story and then bring the knowledge from the uh, collaboration as a learning process into the R&D team and then just keep on doing that so transforming product by product uh, until so, the, so dividing it up and iterate in a way uh, oh, like did uh, I wanted to try to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here and, and a lot of the criticism to this whole uh, sort of thought thought process that we have right now is that uh, people or consumers do say this in in surveys they say they are ready to to for change they're ready to shop uh, sustainably they're ready to change their behaviors and you know we're all consumers also we know how hard it is to, to change um, and uh, and this is something that we're sort of uh, signaling to the to the world and that we go by fast fashion or or whatever it is jordana what do you what's your response to this uh, are, are people ready for change? Are the consumer ready? Is, is there something going on really? So what's, so I always, okay, I'm going to tell you like my feelings are this. So I feel like sustainability, what is sustainability? I think if we ask each person here, what is sustainability to them, there's going to be a different answer. So that's the first thing I look at. I think, um, you know, there's different ways. So for example, maybe someone can go out and afford a dress at Mara Hoffman, you know, because it's sustainable, they can only afford something at H&M. But what they buy at H&M, even though it is fast fashion, how do they maintain what they purchased? How long do they keep it for? Is it just to wear once, take a photo for Instagram and dispose of it? Or are they buying something that's like a basic white tee that if you take care of it, you can have it for a few years so that it's not so bad when you think of fast fashion. The same thing, you know, when I think of sustainability, for example, for me, it's people. Everything I do is about people. I'm, I love people. I want to impact people. I want to inspire people. That's what I live for. So when I think of sustainability, I think of people. I think who's behind what I'm buying. Like, you know, um, is there diversity in the company? Are they inclusive in what they do? So I look at that when I think of something that's sustainable. And I look at me, for example, I have two babies at home. I don't think one of my oldest is four maybe three times in her life have I bought her something because I have my sisters who have kids that have surpassed that age. They then send me boxes in the mail of things that they were going to dispose of. And I take that box and it's a new wardrobe for my daughter. And then during COVID, I've been doing the same thing with my friends. I've been like, go through your closet, throw everything out that you don't want. Let's meet for wine and let's exchange clothes. So I haven't shopped in like a year just because I've been exchanging with my friends. So they say like someone else's trash is your treasure there's so many tech companies that are coming up with these types of like exchange closet idea um, like share my bag and toolery and I, there's so many so I feel like that's a trend that's really coming about and I think when I look at the consumer are they still buying a Zara and Forever 21 etc yes are they buying it though just to photograph it for Instagram? I don't think so anymore. I think the way that people are purchasing, they know that they're not going to be able to purchase as much. They're buying something that's more basic or something they can wear more than once. And so they're taking care of it in a different way. And then I do think that for the first time ever that I can think of in the world, has the entire world been literally turned and shaken, you know, upside down a few times and like, whoa, what happened? So they are going to be changing their habits. And I think purchasing fashion is a big change that I see. I see it in my friends and family and my circle. And maybe, you know, I can say that because I'm, you know, preaching, you know, 
doing better and saving the world. But at the same time, I also kind of see just the general population being a lot more educated and looking up things before they just go and buy and buy something. So I do see that just based on what I said. Can I, can I just uh, add on to that? Because I think I also totally agree that um, the consumers say one thing in surveys and act in, in another way. They will always do. It, it, it will definitely be, and it will be stronger now during a pandemic that you say one thing that you want to do, and then after uh, we have to see what's happening. But the big change I would say is that the industry is having, it's a new in industrial revolution. I mean, it's the circular economy is $5 trillion. It's, it's, it's happening if either the consumer wants it or not, which means that they both will be acting back and forth together until the big change has, has, has happened. So, um, but, I mean, we, we have to also not to forget that after every crisis, there, there's always been a kind of a great Gatsby era. Uh, so uh, it, it, it might go like a bit up and down for a while. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna bring in some. Uh, sorry about this. I'm in a conference room with an automatic lighting. Uh, uh, I'm gonna bring in some questions from the audience, but I want to just uh, have Samuel comment on this as well. I'm curious about uh, what you know um, about your readers and how do you see this sort of pendulum between what they say they want and what they actually go out and, and buy, and how you react on that. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think I think we have. Our, I think broadly, our our, our readers, at least um, you know, our readers who have sort of come on board um, with GQ in the last couple of years, sort of in, in this like new what we call the new new GQ era. Um, you know, they they I think they fall broadly into two categories. There's the reader that's that's more interested in in sort of hype and streetwear and trends, um, and then there's the reader that I think is is here more to learn, you know, not so much about like when the next sneaker drop is, but um, to learn about about new interesting brands and to to help sort of develop, you know, they, they come to us because they want to develop um, a personal style. And we, you know, we really um, have invested a lot in this idea that, um, you know, the most, and, and my colleague Rachel Tashin has wrote about this many times, that the, the, the most sustainable way of dressing is, um, is developing your, your own personal style and, and investing in yourself rather than investing in trends. So that, that, that's sort of a way to reframe, I guess, the, the, the sort of sustain, you know, how sustainable are the brands? It's, you know, this is a way to sort of, to sort of frame it as, okay, so am I, am I shopping and dressing in a way that's sustainable? No matter sort of where the clothes are coming from, you know, that, that can mean you can, you can buy something from, from a luxury brand or you can buy something from Supreme or you can buy something vintage. Um, but it's this idea that, that you're really deliberate and thoughtful about, um, about how you're dressing, what you're buying. Um, and it's about doing it in such a way that you're going to be, you're going to be really, um, you know, the things that you buy are, are, are sort of with you for, if not life, you know, until they, until they sort of fall apart. Um, and, you know, so that's sort of an idea that we, um, we've, we, you know, we've been pushing for a while now. And, and I really do think that our, our audience is getting on board. You know, there's always going to be the the, the the customer who's who's really kind of into um, into you know whatever's the latest logo covered you know hyped thing and that's and, and that's totally fine and you know we have we you know there's a place for them um, you know in GQ as well but um, I think I think what we're really into and because we try to live like this as well is um, you know how do we how do we sort of like help people develop a personal style 
that's super unique to them because that's that exists outside of trends. And I do think that people really, really want that. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to sort of have a cool outfit, right? Um, and, and, and it's, it's, you know, sometimes that means you have to, buy, you, you know, you buy something, wear it a couple times and throw it away. And, um, you know, we're trying to just, we're trying to just move people, you know, less of that and, 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 and just, just try to get them to, um, to, to really dress like themselves and, and, um, and, and be themselves. And, and, and we think that that's, that's a good way to sort of, I guess, bridge that, bridge that gap between wanting to be cool, wanting to have the latest whatever, um, and, and um, wanting to sort of, you know, can be, be, a, be a more responsible consumer. So invest in your own style. I think that's a great tip. Yeah. So, so Don, what do you got for us? Uh, uh, let's go to some questions. One thing though that, that just came to mind and you guys helped me to know if this exists or doesn't exist. And it was a result of something Jordana said, her story about um, the trade of, of her children's clothes and those clothes with her, the friend's children. Um, so we know rent the runway, rent, rent, rent. But what about a website where I put up everything I'm willing to get rid of, and I'm gonna trade you, you put up everything, and it's just a trade, no money exchanges hands. Like, Samuel, I'll, I'll trade you this blue sweater for your tie, even exchange. It's like, okay. So then we, we send it and then that's it. No money changes hands. There actually is. So global, okay, cool. yeah, global fashion exchange by Patrick Duff. Patrick, yeah, Patrick Duffy. Um, so global fashion exchange, he does events. What? Like the Patrick Duffy actor? No, it's another oh. one. <laughs> That's interesting. So, yeah, so global fashion exchange he actually goes to trade shows and events um and he does these like you come in you give three pieces you don't want anymore you get three tickets and then he put everything on racks as if though you're in a store with like new clothes and then you go and you get three pieces that you want and you walk away with them and people take your three pieces and that's it there's no money involved it's amazing I yeah. That. yeah global fashion exchange he doesn't that's yeah. so great. Okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> back to the questions. Something that Frederick said, um, he said, he said, you don't have the loyalty. You, you don't have it anymore, which, you know, I suppose is true. It's not necessarily a happy comment, but we, we have faced reality. So I want to ask everyone here the question. Um, so if you don't have the loyalty, what do you spend your time, and you have to say one or the other, not both, do you spend your time working on the come back here model, come back to me, or do you spend your time on the hello my name is model? If, you, if, if at the end of the day, it's a, it's a zero sum game, where is the best, what is the, which of the two is the better route to take? So Frederick, we'll start with you. <laughs> Uh, if I have to choose between these two, uh, I would say, um, uh, hello, my name is. Yeah. What about you, Conrad? Yeah, I think the same thing. I mean, no one, no one wants the sort of the needy ex-girlfriend that, uh, that's dragging <laughs> in your heels uh, in a way. But I think it's, it's essentially about a, an approach which is about, you, you kind of have to, uh, constantly every day, uh, uh, state your your um, how do you how do you put this? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. I thought I was the one asking the question. No, no, everybody gets a chance to oh. to, to chime in. 
but I think as, as a brand or it, it goes for any, I guess, any brand. And we do the same thing when we do our editorial brand. It's about uh, what do we stand for right now? And what, what is interesting right now? And what's interesting for the audience? And what's interesting, what's happening in the world that's relevant? So to, yeah. to find that relevance is key, no matter if you're like a 200-year-old brand or, or a two-year-old uh, brand. So I, I, to fair. me, that answer is obvious. Yeah, OK. Um, we'll just ask Jordana real quick. What are your feelings on that? I think it's hello, my name is. I feel like this is like after 2020 and forward. I feel like everybody's like reinventing themselves or adding something new to them. So I think the hello, my name is mm -hmm. give everybody who is the let's say new normal that we're all speaking about me, and um, and also introduce yourself to maybe people that even as big as you are familiar with who are you. So I'd say that's the route. Yeah. And then finally, Samuel, along those same lines, um, what is your answer to that? And then could you just say what maybe you're doing differently through how you're, how you're approaching folks differently these days, different yeah. than you did before? Yeah, um, I think, it's, I think the, the approach is definitely, hello, my name is. Um, and I mean, you know, we've, that's the approach that we took um, at GQ starting, I think, a little over two years ago um, when Will Welch became editor-in-chief. Um, rather than sort of trying to stop the, you know, I guess like the inexorable trend that has, you know, defined, um, you know, legacy media over the last um, several years, which is declining subscriptions and ad revenue, you know, it's um, the, the sort of sort of a, a story that we all know, I think. Um, we, we thought, okay, who, you know, like who are we trying to speak to, you know? So basically we, we thought, who's our core customer? Um, who's our core reader? Who do we really want to read GQ? Let's go after them. And so we doubled down on, um, you know, just like I think more exciting style and fashion content, um, you know, luxury content, travel, um, culture. Less, you know, we 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 decided, okay, instead of um, trying to be something for everyone, let's mm. be the best thing for. Um, maybe a slightly a slightly um, smaller, but but yeah. but really quickly growing yeah. um, consumer audience, um, and and yeah. I think that our approach has you know been borne out. It's it's been going great. So yeah, that's that's incredibly exciting, and I think absolutely appropriate, and actually a way to kind of have twofer where you pick hello, my name is, but you're also reintroducing yourself. Um, to your relaunching every time, like Conrad said, you know, you're doing that every time, every day you wake up and open your storefront, you know, it's a new opportunity to, to be your, your business. So along those lines, Conrad, for those that might not be familiar with um, Scandinavian Mind, can you, hello, my name is Scandinavian Mind for us? <laughs> Hello, my name is Conrad. I'm the founder of Scandinavian Mind, and uh, we uh, re actually relaunched ourselves. We, uh, for the past uh, three, uh, four years, four years ago, we founded a platform called Scandinavian Man. So it started as a menswear platform, uh, bringing about working with Scandinavian brands, launching them into the world, uh, basically from a sort of a Scandinavian and very value-based platform, and. Uh, we actually had uh, the second second biggest event we had was at Project Show in New York in the beginning yeah. of of uh, uh, 2018. So fond memories. But 
what we did this year or uh, last year actually was to relaunch our platform that, that this was sort of our pandemic story we had the time uh, to think about what we wanted to do we realized that uh, we had started working with a lot more different industries than just menswear and with that the name man started becoming uh, less relevant yeah. Uh, so what we wanted to do is basically cover the, the intersection of, of technology and, and, and fashion and lifestyle. So basically what we see is uh, these are industries that we love, but they are in need of, of enormous transformation and can only do that by adhering to technological innovation. And at the same time, specifically here in, in, in the Nordics, we see a lot of uh, tech startups coming about, getting a lot of, of, of investment and so forth but they need to learn how to communicate like a lifestyle brand. So we really see that the future lies within this intersection and, and basically every, every uh, fashion brand, it has to be a tech brand and every tech brand has to be a lifestyle brand. That's the simplest way of putting it. Yeah, and I love the fact that all you had to do was change one letter and add one letter to any kind of logo on the outside of a building. No big <laughs> removal of all these letters, just one and add one. Yeah, we um, did change the logo though, but, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a nice transition. Of course. Well, you know, I I could probably sit and chat and ask questions all day, um, but for now, we're going to uh, take a take a pause in this conversation. And I just want to thank everybody here for agreeing to come on and and have this in depth and very important conversation. Uh, I walked away with a lot, especially. Uh, global fashion exchange <laughs> so thank you jordana um so again thank you for for sharing your time and i want to thank everyone who was watching live and anybody who watches this on on a rerun uh for those of us that are old enough to know what that term means <laughs> um so again thank you so much for tuning in and have a great rest of your day You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement.